You know, I find uh, Pastor Gary sometimes makes references about like weather and stuff like that. Have you guys ever mentioned, have ever seen that? He talks about weather a lot or no, anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Well, I thought I might start off my message talking about, you know, one of those kind of situations or the storm of 57 or something. You know how he talks about that kind of stuff? I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about because I wasn't alive at all. But uh, some of you might remember uh, the storm of 2009. Do you guys remember that one? The beginning in January. I don't know what it was like over here, but in 2009, I was at North Point Bible College, uh, and we were in Haverhill, Massachusetts, so just about an hour east of here, and everything was covered in ice, like everything. You remember that? Like everything was covered in ice for like three weeks, and it was so bad where we were, like the town like had lost power. We had, had to cancel classes. We canceled classes for like three weeks at that time because it, it had done so much damage all over the town, but it had done so much damage all over like our campus as well. At the time, uh, my mom and dad were working for the college, uh, and we had a house right up the road. And uh, I remember waking up one morning, it, it, you know, there's no power, and uh, my mom had made a fire in the fireplace. We had two fireplaces, one in the dining room and then one over in the living room. And she had made a fire, and uh, I come down, she's got this big old cast iron uh, pan, and she's just making breakfast, like, like nothing had ever happened. Like, it was just like, it was the weirdest thing ever, too, because I was like, are we back in, like, colonial times? Like, like first of all, like, my mom had given up on cooking, like, five or six years before that. So, like, now all of a sudden, she's, like, making biscuits, and there's gravy, and there's bacon frying. I'm like, what is happening right now? I was like so, so perplexed at what had happened. And I just remember that, that for that week, that was our only source of heat. That was our only source of like making food. And for a moment, I thought like this is, this is pretty cool. But eventually it got kind of like inconvenient over time, you know. And I, I just thought to myself like, man, like we, we just went from having like a power source that we were connected to that we kind of took for granted, you know. And then all of a sudden now we're relying on this one little you know, fireplace to be our source of heat, to be the thing that, that gives us the, cooks the food that we need. And I just, I remember that we had lost that and we had just been cut off from the source of power that we were so dependent on. And, and what happened was we began to function as if that was a normal part of our lives. And, and over time, after the, you know, day two or day three, you almost forget to think about, oh, wow, we just had unlimited access to all of this power that we could watch, you know, watch the game on the, on the screen, that we could, we could go and we could have hot water, that we could, and we just began to, to just make adjustments to a life of powerlessness, forgetting that we were connected to an incredible source of power. I think you know where I'm going with this this, this morning. And so... You know, I, I began to think about this generation, thought about our families, thought about just the culture and the world around us right now. And, you know, they say that this, this generation, this new generation that's coming up, the one that we're in is, a, is an entrepreneurial generation. There's a lot of excitement that, that they, they'll watch something, they'll see something and they'll go and they'll do something. The generation that's coming up is now known as the, the digital native they have never known how to do this. Oh, I messed up. Oh, God, I'm going to get, hey, start over, you know? 
Do you remember? They don't, they, don't even know the, they don't even know the days of having to remember your friend's number, right? I rem- you have to remember your friend's number to call them on the phone to go and spend time with them. That is, you know, that's crazy. It's the most racially and ethnically diverse group, the most educated generation of all time with unlimited access to knowledge and resources all over the internet. I don't know about you, but, but for me, I am not a mechanic. I'm not a mechanic. But if there's ever a time where I need to figure something out, what do I do? Google it. What do I do when I, when I, I, don't, I don't know how to do the, the rear brake job on my Ford? I Google it. I go to YouTube. I watch, that's literally what I did. I went to 1A Auto. If you're here, Steve Vincent, I love you. Thank you so much for giving me that resource. And, and, I, and I just bought it. Like, that's it. Like, it just immediately. And I have the access in the information. I thought about our modern families today, right? Going from event to event, to activity to activity, to sport to sport, and, and, the, and how not only with all of these wonderful things at our, our fingertips, the level of stress is through the roof. The level of anxiety is out of control. Not only are these the great things, but well, they're also the most heavily medicated generation of all time, with suicide rates through the roof, addictions crazy and out of control. And with all of this in our faces, in our lives, it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And there's only, there's only something that can guide us. If there's only something that could guide us and give us the direction. And so this morning, as I, I told you about the story about how we were so used to being connected to the source and then began to live a life of less power in our lives, I have to ask the question to you this morning, church, have we been disconnected from the source of power? Have we been living in the fullness and the power that Christ has given us access to? The other question, which is probably more terrifying, is this is, are you living with a need for the power? Are we living even with a need? Do we even need the power? Have we become desensitized? Have we become so scheduled and so in control? And really think about that question for some of us here, you know, and, and truly believe that, 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 you know what, this is just the hand that life has dealt with me. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to have to be in this, this tough place, in this, in this situation that I'm, I'm, I've just dealt with. This is the cross that I must bear, and that's, it's just the way it is. We've said those phrases before. It's just the way it is. You know, life stinks. That's just the way it is. And I find that this mentality is found in the believer who has made God, church, and a religion in addition to the schedule of their life rather than allowing God to be the source of life. And the reliance of the pleasures of this world have numbed us to believing that there is more that God wants for us. We become comfortable. It's a scary word. Angie and I, we've said that. There's been multiple times where we'll be talking and we'll be in bed and she's like, you know, I'm just so comfortable. Like, no, no, don't, don't, don't say that. Don't say that word. Don't say that word. Don't say that word. Because if you say that word, things are going to get rocky. You know, God's going to start shaking things out. Don't say that. It's a curse word in our house. You can't say that. You can't say that. You know, and if you look around at the world for just a second, there's a lot of uncertainty on the horizon. And it's scary. It is. It's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that, that it's scary. There's a, there's a lack of hope. 
There's a lack of vision for the future. You know, and as I began to think about this, this powerlessness that is so evident, I couldn't help but think about Jesus and his disciples. And so, if you read here with me in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, you're going to be like, this doesn't make any sense, Pastor Joel, but I promise I'll put the puzzle pieces together for you. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 says this, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, And suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Now, I love coming into stories like this in the Bible because there's so much context to what has happened before this event has taken place. And so a lot of times, if if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll just be like, well, I want that, and not really understand the context and the culture and the situations that were happening. Just the chapter before, we see that Jesus has, has left, he's ascended, and has gone into heaven. He has completed his purpose here on earth. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes when I read about the characters in the Bible, sometimes I don't really look at them as real people. Because they did so many incredible things for God that you just think like, yeah, there's no way that I could ever be like that. But the beautiful thing is that he chose people just like you and I. Amen? Amen? He chose people like you and I. And so with that, there, we can relate with the people in the Bible. We can relate with the people that Jesus spoke to and ministered to because then we can see, wow, the best friend that they just spent three years doing ministry, miracles, and incredible things has now left them. And you look at the passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 1, they're actually standing there looking as Jesus is ascending into heaven, and then two angels show up and they're like, yeah, hey, what are you doing? Like, you guys look crazy. Like, why are you doing that? But I'm be honest with you, one, if I had seen something like that, I probably would be stunned too. And secondly, I would probably be like, what do I do now? Like, what's next? Like, he's gone. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, 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 I'm scared. I don't know. It's still crazy out there, Jesus. Like, you're leaving and... and and what, what's next? What's going to happen next? And sometimes, you know, when, when we, we read this passage or hear this, we can just focus on, on, on what happened rather than the process that led to this moment. We can get caught up in that. And we think, oh, it just, it just happened in an instant. Yes, it did, but there was a lot that went into the day of Pentecost and what we just read in these four, in these four verses here before the power was poured out on the disciples. Now, I don't want to sound circumstantial or situation about the, uh, situational about the supernatural. It's, it's God's steps that I want to be in line with, and I hope that's your prayer as well. But I can't help, but there are some connections that we can make when it comes to the process, and we sometimes tend to neglect in our faith. In the, mom- in the disciples' moment, right, in their moment of desperation, they went back to Jesus' teachings and his practices, this is what we see in the moment that they're, they're, they're off in the distance and then immediately you read in the book of Acts, they went and they, they went together and they were together and they were in union and they began to 
pray together. They began to seek the Lord's face together. They probably were, were reciting the Lord's prayer together, making their needs and, and requests known to the Father. And in their moment where they didn't know what to do, they immediately went back to that practice and teachings of Jesus. They probably were wondering, probably in that moment after they saw him leave and they went back to their homes and they, they're probably thinking like, well, what do we do now? We're like, oh yeah, remember that time where Jesus sat down with us and he taught us how to pray? We should probably do that. Let's do that. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to that moment. That simplicity, that simple childlike faith. Maybe, just maybe, they remembered the promise that he said to them in Acts chapter 1. Verses 4 and 5, it's up on the screen. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So here we see that Jesus has made a promise to them. And whatever the motivation that you have, for more of God in your life. And tonight, today we're going to be talking, I mean, I'm talking to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. And whatever your motivation for the need of the power of the Holy Spirit to be unleashed in your life, I have to ask you, what does your practice look like? What does your practice look like? You know, you can go to the gym and set a goal and maybe fail or attempt to, but there's, there's a lot of studies out there that says, hey, why don't you focus on the person that you want to become and then the results will follow. Focus on the person. I want to be, I want to be a, a, in, in shape so that when my children want to run around with me and play soccer or play football, I want to be in shape so that I can do that with them. You see what I'm saying? That's a different thought process than setting a goal. And so here we go. Is whatever your motivation is, I have to ask, what does your practice look like? What are we, how are we practicing the simple instructions of the word of God? Simple commands that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Are we doing those four things? And then secondly, the, the next command, which is even as, as important is as love your neighbor as yourself. Simple instructions, take care of widows and orphans. These are not complicated types of things in the Bible. And so what does our practice look like? And take a snapshot of your life and ask this question, is the way I'm living require God's intervention in my life? Is the practices that I have in place involve my heavenly father? Do I need his presence in my life to accomplish the tasks at hand? How much of our lives have we taken control over rather than surrendering to the Spirit of God? Are you in a place where you feel spiritually stagnant today? That's probably the number one statement that a lot of Christians can make depending upon where you are in your faith that I just feel like I'm not growing anymore. I feel like I'm just stagnant anymore. I feel like I'm in a season of drought or whatever Christianese phrase that you want to say. I just don't feel God's presence in my life. And whatever it is, I have, you know, do, do you have a desire for more of God? Whatever it is, are you at a loss for how the circumstances of your life are going to change? Whatever it is, do you need a supernatural intervention. We have to look at our practice first. We've got to look at our practice. Are you practicing the things that Jesus has called you to? 
Because if you're practicing them, they will require faith, risk, and dependency on God. Now listen to me. I need to make it very clear on what practice looks like. Let me make it very clear what practice. Practice is not, I'm not talking about listening to K-Love or some worship music or listening to a great message by Pastor Gary or coming to a Bible study or even completing a book or a, Bible, you know, a devotional plan. All of these things are great, but when I'm talking about practicing, I'm talking about when Jesus says to go and do something, you go and you do it. You read it in the Bible, and you go and you do it. It's not complicated. Just the other day, we were having some plumbing issues at our house, and in the middle of it, I may or may not have been snappy at my wife, right? And, and I maybe used a tone that was not as graceful as I should have been in the moment, right? I'm sure none of you know exactly what I'm talking about. None of you have ever experienced any of this before. The, per- the most holiest, perfect congregation of bread of life. Um, so later on, Angie expressed to me how she didn't appreciate that. She didn't appreciate that, right? She's, we've got great communication. So she says, I didn't really appreciate that. So what do I do? I ask her to forgive me, right? I say, honey, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done it. You know what her response was? I'll pray about it. <laughs> I was so perfect. It's so perfect, right? Just like, yeah, I'll pray about it. Yeah, sure, whatever. I'll pray about it, you know? It was a joke. Obviously, it was a joke. She, for, she forgave me. But how many times have we read a passage of Scripture where Jesus commands us to do something and then we decide to pray about it rather than do it? And I feel like what ends up happening is in those times, if we are practicing, we begin to see the promises of the Lord fulfilled in our lives. Church, I'm telling you right now, we cannot accomplish God-sized tasks without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. Even Jesus himself, in, in Matthew chapter 4, when he was baptized, the, the sky split open. The heavenly Father said, this is my son, and who am I? I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God descended upon him. In that moment, he, he accomplished and Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. And he only did those things because he only did what the Father told him to do. He only accomplished what the Father did because of the, he was dependent, church, on the Spirit of God dwelling inside of him. And if Jesus is the one, the model that we're supposed to, to live our lives after, then we need to be dependent on dwelling in the presence of God. When we aren't dependent on God to accomplish the things that he called us to, why would we even need power in the first place? But yet, the promises of God. You see, the promises, the promises was being fulfilled in Acts 1, verses 5 and 8. And I'll read that for you here. It says this, Jesus said, in Acts chapter 1, verses 5, says this, John baptized with water, but just in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then hop down to 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you, here it is, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
the promises being fulfilled in Acts chapter 1 and the verses that I just read for you are a direct result of the obedience and the practice of the instructions of Jesus. This is not complicated this morning, church. The practices led to the promises being fulfilled. They worked together. They were praying the way that Jesus taught them. And then, boom, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the promise fulfilled. And we tell it, listen, church, I'm in the same boat with you today. I'm, I might be on a stage, but I'm there with you in the seats, right? Sometimes we want the power to first do the job. And God's just looking to, re, God's looking for practice to release the promise of his power. I'll say that again because I feel that was pretty good, right? We want the power first to do the job, but God's looking for the practice to release the power and the promise of that power. Now, I want you to understand something, that there is no magical formula to make God baptize you in the Holy Spirit. If there was, I would be telling it to you right now in this moment. What I am showing you is a scenario in which God filled his followers with the power that they needed to go and fulfill the purpose that he called them to and to be the people that God has called them to. They were desperate. They had faith and they were practicing what they were taught. What they were taught in the gospel. The last church I was at, there was a young man who got saved under our youth ministry. His name was Nick. He's captain of the wrestling team. Wonderful young man. And daily, his love of the Lord continued to grow, and his hunger for the Word of God continued to grow. And I remember him coming to me, and he said, Pastor Joel, I think, I, I think God called me to, to, to go to Bible college. I said, wow, that's, that's great, Nick. And um, wasn't the best student. Wasn't the, wasn't the best focused, had a hard time with education, and my, I had my, my fears for him as somebody who loved him and cared about him, but, but he made a commitment to, to go to, to Bible college. The summer before he went to Bible college, I brought him on a team with me to, to preach at the camp that Angie and I have the opportunity to preach to in West Virginia every, every year. And during one of the powerful services, God really spoke to him in an incredible way. And Nick, I'm telling you, when I, when I talk about Nick, if you could think of the most childlike, simple faith, that he just, he read it and that's it, that's it, that's it, period. If Jesus tells me to do this, I'm going to do it. Not complicated, not reading it, not just, this is what God tells me, I'm going to do it. Most beautiful, simple, purest form of faith that I've ever seen in my life. And I remember him coming to me after a service and said, Pastor Joel, I really felt like the Holy Spirit said to me that, I'm going to go to India and preach the gospel. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's incredible, Nick, right? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never said this to anybody before. The first thing that came to my mind was his qualifications. He hadn't preached a message. He barely knew the word of God. I mean, literally one time I took him to a, to a college experience and he wanted to read the Bible. And so I gave him my Bible and uh, he's reading it. And he goes, uh, who's, De, who's Debroa? <laughs> That's what he said. Forgive me, Nick, if you're watching this. Debro, he was trying to read Deborah. He's Deborah from the book of Judges. And I was like, Debroa. I was like, what is that? And so that was the first thing that came to my mind. But in that moment, this is what I said to him. I said, Nick, if you believe 
that is what the Holy Spirit has said to you, then God is going to make it happen. He's going to make it happen. So Nick goes to Bible college. He starts his classes, goes through a semester. Second semester, he meets a man by the name of Abram. And guess who Abraham's from? He's from India. Not only is he from India, but he's a pastor of multiple churches in India. And he begins to befriend him. And then he comes and says, I want you to come and preach at the churches in India. Hello. Was that complicated? And Nick spent the entire summer traveling all over India, preaching the gospel and seeing people's lives change and transform for the glory of God. No qualifications. You know, a, a year of Bible college, and he just went. He never, he'd never preached with a translator before. He'd never done, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we want the power first before we go and do the task that God's called us to. And he's just saying, hey, listen, just practice. Take the word, take the truth, begin to put into practice what you're reading in the word of God, in your devotional time. See, they experienced the promise that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 14, right? When he said, I'm, I'm leaving you, listen, don't be, don't be afraid, don't be disheartened. I'm leaving, but I'm sending someone to power you, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the guide. You're not going to be alone. Don't give up. Don't forget. Amen. And when they faced, what they faced required the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. What they did face, you know, what they did face, they sharing the good news with an unbelieving world. And I got to ask you, you know, what was, when was the last time that, that you led somebody to Christ? When was the last time that you shared the good news with somebody? Listen, I'm not saying it's not scary. I'm not saying it's not intimidating. But Jesus did tell us to go and to preach the good news and to share it with others. He, Jesus didn't say just go and, and do this all by yourself. He said, no, I will not leave you, but I will go with you. Another promise. So if the promise of Jesus is, hey, I want you to go and preach the good news everywhere that you go and share the gospel. Here's the promise, and I'm going to be with you. What's going to happen when you go and you share the gospel with somebody? Who's going to be with you? Jesus is going to be there right with you in that moment. But the practice is go. The promise is fulfilled through the practice that takes place. Our practice not only reveals the promises, unleashes the promises, and unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I don't know about you, church, but my desire is to walk empowered and connected to the source. I can't do this. I cannot do this. I cannot continue to try and do things in my own strength. This world out there is in need of God. You see it. You see it. You turn on your television for two seconds and you'll see it. This world is in need of God and it is scary and it is terrifying. And I know that I keep repeating that over and over and over again because I, I want you to understand that I as a pastor validate those feelings of fear, of scared. I, Jesus saw that in his disciples. He acknowledged that in his disciples, but he also was like, you don't have to be afraid. 
Why? Because I'm there with you. My spirit is in you. To counteract that fear in our hearts, in our lives. Jesus commanded us to go, and if we get anywhere close to his heart, ours will begin to break, and you will begin to feel the urgency and push to do something about it. But you're not alone, and you're not unequipped. Maybe today you're here in this place, and your souls are in a place of desperation. Maybe you have began to feel that weight for this generation to be filled with the Spirit and share the good news with everyone. And maybe at, maybe at one time you're here this morning and, and you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you've spoken in tongues, but you haven't done it in a while because it's a practice that you've neglected. May I remind you of what it says in Jude 20, 21. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life and in this way you will keep yourself safe in God's love. Church, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and have spoken in tongues, do not neglect the practice of speaking it. Continue to build up your faith. The sad truth is at times, and I have been in this place before, is that we as ministers have done the body of believers a great disservice by putting such a grandeur in speaking in tongues that we've missed the point. We've missed the point. The point isn't that you speak in tongues. Tongues are just the reassurance of the fulfillment of the promise. The point is the power to be witnesses. To be, to be empowered, to be emboldened. The point is for you to be emboldened to share the good news. Well, it's just not my personality. It's just not my personality. You get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you'll see what your personality has to say about the power of the Spirit of God. <laughs> Hello. Come on now. It's just, I'm just, I'm intimidated. Well, listen, just, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, things begin to change. You get baptized, things begin to change. I remember specifically for me, my moment when, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, growing up in a, a pastor's home, Pentecostal pastors, I saw people getting filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I saw amazing miracles and things happen all the time, and it was incredible. It was awesome. And as I continued to go on my journey and my faith and my relationship with the Lord, year after year when I would ask God to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and what happened, I'd get discouraged. I'd get angry. And now I, I know that it's not like a Boy Scout badge, you know, that I said, I got, hey, look at me, I got baptized. That's not, what, that's not the point of it. But I felt like I was doing something wrong. I felt like maybe, maybe there was some sin in my life that I just wasn't, you know, wasn't getting right. I, I, don't, I don't know what it was. I just, I just felt defeated every single time that I would go and I would ask the Lord to baptize me in the Holy Spirit and fill me with the Holy Spirit and, so that I can be emboldened, so I can be empowered. And I remember specifically when everything switched and everything changed, and I was at a camp, I was at a summer camp, and typically every Wednesday night, that's what they do. They talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like a routine. I don't know why they do it, but they do it. And so on that Wednesday night, they're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we're all been there for like 45 minutes, and we're praying, and everybody's asking, and I'm seeing all my friends around me are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking in tongues, and it's this incredible moment. People are getting called to ministry, and I'm just there, and I'm just like, 
well, I guess it's just not going to happen again this year. Just being disappointed, discouraged. Because I'm like, this is something that God promised. This is something that I want to have access to this promise. I want, I want it to be given to me. I want, it, I want to be used. God, help me to be used. And I remember the specific moment that it changed for me. And this might be the moment for you, but the speaker stopped everything. He said, I want everybody to stop for a second. And he said, I want you to begin to think about all of the unsaved people in your life. I want you to think about all of your friends, all of your classmates, the people, the people at your job. I want you to think about those people. I want you to begin to picture them in your mind. He goes, and then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to ask the Holy Spirit how he's going to use you to share the gospel with those people. Once you've done that, then ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the light bulb went off in my head that this was not supposed to be about me. Yes, it was a gift that the Heavenly Father was giving to me, but it was to be used to reach other people for the good news. And sometimes what happens is if we don't get it, we think we're disqualified, and that's not the case in any way, shape, or form. But I'm telling you today, church, are we living a life that doesn't require the power of God? Are we living a life where we're not sharing the gospel? Are we calling ourselves Christians and Christ followers, but not sharing the gospel with others, the good news with other people? See, God is not in heaven dangling this thing out in front of you, just out of your reach. He's not doing that. Are you asking the right questions? This is discovered in the practice. Your time in the word and prayer will reveal the next step to take and the prayers to make, leading you to, leading you to go and very much in, in, in need of prayer and the power source to sustain you. See, God is a giver. He's a giver, church. But I got to ask once again, when, when have you been in a situation that required a divine, supernatural intervention? Something that didn't come from a self-help book, a TikTok video, a Facebook post. You know, do, 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 my, do my co-workers really need you? Do, excuse me, do your co-workers really need Jesus? Yes, they do. But I'm scared to tell them. Yes. God, my, my, my children are heading down a dark path and I, I need your power to, to stand up for what is right and guide them. The church is in need of revival and an outpouring of the Spirit of God for our lives to be infused with the Spirit of God. I mean, Pastor Gary gets up here week after week after week and he preaches to us and he reassures us that the time is coming soon when Christ will be returning. And to be honest with you, that is our future hope to hold on to, church. But I have to caution you to not fall into the trap of allowing that future hope to be an excuse for us to hit the autopilot button and cruise into eternity. Just because we have that to hold on to doesn't mean that we can't encounter the power and the presence of God today, right now, in our lives. That doesn't take away the fact that we are to take as many people with us as possible to heaven. It doesn't take that away. Yes, we have to have our eyes set heavenward, but there's great needs in front of us that Jesus didn't neglect, so we don't need to neglect it. We need to be about the Father's business and preaching the good news. 
You see, the beauty of this passage that we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, is the direct result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the believers. Peter, the denier, gets up and he preaches this message out of nowhere. How does he do this? How does he accomplish this? Well, church, I believe he accomplishes this because he committed himself to the practices. He was reminded of the promises. Just to take a second today when you go back home and you read because he begins to quote promises from the book of Joel about the pouring out of the spirit of God on believers. So his practice reminded him of the promises which unleashed the power in his life to get up and to preach the good news. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day and baptized. It's not complicated, church. Peter was committed to the practice and we see this direct result and we can say, hey, listen, that could be you tomorrow at your job, where you are with your family, that, that we, we, we look at these things and we think, man, that's so crazy. I could never do something like that. But listen, if we commit ourselves to that practice, he's going to unleash the power, church. He's going to fill you with the things that you need to accomplish the tasks that are laid before you. He couldn't have done that without being connected to the power source. He could not have done that to be, unless he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You cannot live the fullness of this Christian life, one, without going and sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, and two, you can't do it without the Spirit filling your life, church. And I'm sorry if you bought into the lie that that is the truth, but you can't. You cannot do it without him. You cannot do it without him. If you want more of God in your life and you're ready to start putting into practice the promises of the word of God to unlock the power that he has for you, we're going to pray today. We're going to pray today together as a church, as a family. We're going to pray that God fills you and empowers you, restores the dreams and visions of ministry that he placed on your heart to go out and to preach the good news. That will never change, church, until he comes back. The command for us to go, to preach, to be filled with the spirit of God.